You are listening to the Embassy Church Podcast, and here is today's message. Thank you, Jesus. I was praying this morning, and like Sean had said this morning, that I really felt, I was talking to God, I said, God, what what are you feeling today? What's on your heart today? And I felt him say, I just want to delight. I'm just going to delight in my people. I take great delight in you. And I just saw his face and I saw him just smiling, just like, I'm just so pleased with them. I just am so pleased with them. I love them so much. And and that's what happens is when the Father, when we begin to realize, when we begin to feel the delight of the Father, we begin to delight in who he is. And I just felt like in our homes, in here right now that we would feel the love, feel the delight of the Father. He took me to the verse, uh, the Zephaniah 3.17, and it says this, the Lord your God in your midst, the Lord your God in your midst right now, in the middle of where you are, in the middle of the fire, in the middle of the deep, in the middle of the good times, surrounded by your family, the Lord your God in your midst, it says, is a mighty warrior who saves. Think about that for a minute. He is a strong, mighty, powerful warrior who saves. But then it says this, he will rejoice over you. Think of it. Think of that, this big, strong, mighty warrior, you know, arrayed in splendor and armor and all of the things is rejoicing over you, is delighting in you. Then it says, he will rejoice over you with joy. He takes joy in you. And it says, he will be quiet in his love for you. Then it says, he will rejoice over you with shouts of joy. That's what the Father's doing right now, delighting in you in the midst of where you are, delighting in you. The Father is pleased with you. The Father loves you. He's watching you and taking great delight in you. Father, I thank you right now that every person listening, every person that's tuned in right now is feeling your delight in them, feeling your love towards them, flowing towards them, surrounding them, loving them. Father, I thank you that they know your love and would take them deeper in who you are. In Jesus' name. So, Father, we surrender to you this morning. We surrender to you this morning. And God, we just say you have your way because your ways are higher. Your ways are better. What you want is better, God. And so we want that. We want that in our lives. God, show us every idol that's in our heart. Show us every wall that we have built up that keeps you out, God. Holy Spirit, we just invite you to work in our hearts this morning. Speak to us like only you can speak to us. Minister to us today. We need a word from you. We need a word from you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Thank you, Jesus. Well, as a church, we've been reading in Matthew this month, and um, so today we're in Matthew 14, 
um, and it's been amazing. If you have not, if you have not joined in um, reading with us, do it now. Just start in Matthew 14. You can, you can read the rest another time. Just start now. There's something so incredible about reading the Word of God together. Um, I, I've said this before when we were reading Proverbs, but it's just something that, that's so connecting when I'm having conversations with you or you're having, I can hear it, you know, in different places we're having conversations. It's like, oh, it's like we read today in, in Matthew or it's like we read today in Proverbs. It's something so beautiful and it's amazing to hear that all of us can be reading the same chapter and the Spirit of God will speak differently to each of us, sometimes the same, but also differently to each of us as he begins to work. That's because the Word of God is alive. So start with us, Matthew, even right now, go ahead and just write. What's God been showing you in Matthew? Write something down in the chat. We'd love to, I love to read those kinds of things. And so what's God showing you? But since we've been in Matthew, um, we read in Matthew 5, and obviously on the 5th, we were in Matthew 5, and um, I kind of wanted to come back to it because it's the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount is one of the longest or the longest sermon of Jesus. And I've heard ministers jokingly say that actually if you read the Sermon on the Mount from start to finish, it only takes 10 minutes. So either Jesus was a very to the point and precise preacher or it's been, um, or it's been shortened. But I want to go back to the Beatitudes and discuss that over two weeks. This week we're going to go do four uh, verses of the Beatitudes. <clears throat> And so I want to talk about the Beatitudes just a little bit before we begin. Um, the Beatitudes, Jesus, he takes the disciples to the mountain and he begins to talk to them and, and he begins to, to tell them of things that they should do. There's the Ten Commandments and the Ten Commandments are things that you should not do. And the Beatitudes are things that you should do. But to be clear, the Beatitudes is not just an outward performance. It's something that happens within your heart. And so Jesus is beginning to say, hey guys, this is what living in the kingdom looks like. And you know what's interesting is when Jesus says something and he says, this is how, this is how Christ followers, this is what it looks like to live in the kingdom. It should be something that we go back to on a regular basis. We should be looking back to it and say, wait, this is what Jesus said. He was giving us instructions for life. We should be going back to it and being like, let me read that again. Jesus said it. I'm a Christian, which means I'm Christ-like, which means I'm a follower of Christ. So I'm going to go back to his words and I'm going to look at what is it that he's saying. And so he gives us these eight things that are incredible when you begin to read it and go in, and go in depth in it. <clears throat> the one thing about the Beatitudes is this, is that Jesus gives some instructions and then he gives a promise attached to each one and it's important that we read it when we read this that we read it as facts like these are absolute facts when he's saying it so in other words um a fact would be if i stop breathing i die that's a fact there's no really way around it i'm dead if i stop if my heart stops beating i'm dead uh, women give birth to babies men do not those are facts that's a fact, okay? When Jesus says these things, he's saying facts. And it's not maybe, maybe they'll happen, maybe they won't. Jesus is saying this is what happens when, these things, when you do these things. So let's begin in, let's begin in Matthew 5, verse 1. 
Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountains. And when he sat down, his disciples came to him. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. You see the promises attached to each one? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. These are facts, he's saying. Blessed are the peacemakers, they shall be called the sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So the Beatitudes, ways of life, facts, that Jesus is speaking for us. But it's interesting the word blessed. Every, every, at the beginning of every one it says, blessed are they, blessed are they, blessed are they. That word blessed, <clears throat> blessed actually means happy. Happy. And I find it interesting that in the world today, everywhere, anywhere, you look on social media, there's self-help books of ways to find inner happiness. And we're all in this place of looking for inner happiness. And Jesus shows up and says, happy. Happy are they. Happy are they. Happy are they. There's different meanings for the word blessed. Some would be a Greek meaning of the word blessed or different, different ways that they say the word blessed. And so one would be an outward, that I would give you something and I've blessed you with something, which is what we use on a regular basis. It's something that's been given to me that was great. This is different. He's saying happy. In other words, inner happiness is what he's saying. Inner happiness comes to those. Inner happiness comes to those. Happiness comes to those. So he's saying this is where happiness comes from when we live this life. So let's begin. Verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So, oh, how happy are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So oftentimes we think poor, or this verse has been used many times, that poor is materially poor. Like you shouldn't have nice things. You, you shouldn't, you should just be broke broke and that is how you're going to get into the kingdom of heaven that's a good thing and that's not what it's talking about at all it's talking about poor in spirit meaning spiritually bankrupt are those spiritually bankrupt are those or happy are those that are spiritually bankrupt in other words what he's saying is it's total reliance on god recognizing that I am nothing without him. And you know what? In our Western culture, we don't like that. We don't like that. I've, I, I've seen where we change our vernacular, even in the Christian world, we change our vernacular to kind of be like, oh, well, I bring something to the table. I, I actually, I, off, I have some things to offer. 
And this is saying, no, actually, the ones that recognize that they are spiritually bankrupt, that they ain't got nothing without God, the word actually means beggar. Happy are those that are like beggars. It seems opposite, right? What he's saying is that like a beggar who would be on a street, who is desperate, that, it, that somebody has to pass me by and help me out or I am going to die, is that kind of thing. Blessed are they, happy are they that recognize that they were in need of a savior, that they are constantly in need of Jesus that I am in need, I am in need of a savior. Revelations three, look at this, says, and to the angel of the church, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works, you are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Look at this, verse 17. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. And he says, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. He's talking about self-righteousness. He's saying that you, that you think that I've profited, I've brought something to the table, I've done something. And you know that happens in Christianity sometimes where, where we'll, come to, we'll come to Jesus and we're like, I am in need of a savior, I need you, help me. Oh my God, like I, you know, and we come into this place, but then all of a sudden we make it about laws and we make it about rules and we make it about how I've done such and such a thing to, in, to you know, be able to stand before God and be able to do all these things. And he says, no, 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 you're missing it. You missed it. You're, you're saying that you've done all these things to inherit. You haven't. You're missing it. And you know what he says about it's self-righteousness that does it. It's like, I've earned my way. I've earned it here. He says, that's, that's self-righteousness. And self-righteousness will make you lukewarm. Because God says, I don't like it. That makes me sick. That attitude makes me sick, that you think that you're not in need of a savior. In other words, where the Beatitudes is saying, I, I, I am constantly, I am every day, every moment of every day in need of a savior. I need him. Not I can earn it. Not I, I, I thank you, Jesus. I, I accepted you into my heart. Now I've become a Christian. That's wonderful. And now, now I'm going to earn it from now on to stay here. No, that's self-righteousness. And self-righteousness is rooted in religion. It's what the Pharisees did. They were constantly earning their way, doing the things. To think that I, I somehow deserve to be here. Self-righteousness will make you lukewarm. Here's the Pharisees, Luke 18, verse 9. He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. 
the Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even this tax collector. Wow, is right. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector standing far off would not even lift up his eyes to heaven and he beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he says, I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I pray every morning. So God, you, you should come because that's what I do. I, 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 do all of, I do all of the things. And this self-righteousness gets to be built up before we even know it, man. There, I, I have to check my own heart on a regular basis, right? I think that all of a sudden I've, I, I'm, I don't pray or I shouldn't or we shouldn't pray excuse me let me let me we should always pray that's not what I'm saying but I but I'm trying to get a point across that I breathe every day because I need it to stay alive I I, that's why I breathe I pray in the spirit because it's a gift that God gave me to walk out this life I don't do it to earn anything. But, but sometimes we get into this, this routine of the, the more that I do it, the more I've earned a position. I've earned my place. And then what happens is we get this self-righteousness God says, that'll make you lukewarm. You get doing that, you get into that kind of religion, that will make you lukewarm. Because it takes the spirit right out of it. And then we begin to criticize. We get into criticism. Criticizing others, looking down at others. Criticism is self-righteousness. If you're criticizing others, you you have self-righteousness. And you can say all you want, well, I've got low self-esteem. I, you know, I don't think that highly. If you're criticizing, you have self-righteousness. Because you're looking down at others and looking up at yourself. Somewhere in there. This was meant to hurt, by the way. All of the Beatitudes is meant, it is meant to hurt. So if you're criticizing, there is self-righteousness in you and self-righteousness is rooted in religion and it will cause you to become lukewarm. And God says, that makes me sick. Amen? (laughs) And self-righteousness will keep you from being happy. Because what does God say? He says, happy, blessed are they. Blessed are they 
Happy are they. Isaiah, when he went into the presence of God, he did that. He's like, oh, he said, woe is me, woe is me. I'm unclean, I'm unclean. In other words, I'm, I have no reason to be standing here right now. I am in the presence of a holy God, woe is me. I'm in need of a savior, I'm in need of something. And that's the place that we go to every time we go into the presence of God to remind us, I am in need of a savior, woe is me. I can't measure up, I'll never measure up. That's why I need a savior every single day. I need a savior every single day. I need him every single day in my life. I can't not have him in my life. If I don't have him, I got nothing. We gotta get that through our heads. That I, I have to, I have to, I have to have him. I am nothing without him. And we don't like the way that sounds because we think that it's some place. I, I have something. No, you have nothing without him. Everything that you have is from him. I need him every day. I need him to walk this out. I need him to work this out. I need him to do something in my heart. I need him in my family. I need him in my relationship. I need him. I need a savior every single day. And if I don't have him, I got nothing. I was just saying to Sean before we came out here, I don't ever want to get to the place where I think that I don't need the anointing. I don't ever want to stand up here and think that I'm such a good speaker, that I am so talented in what I do, or when I go to sing, that I've just got such a beautiful voice that I don't need the anointing of God in my life. I watched it one time. I remember I was a young girl and I just started singing and I, this is not against anybody else. It was just a learning moment for me and I remember watching someone get up and sing, sing worship to God and the, the attitude that was coming from them was like, listen to my voice, look at my voice, look how beautiful I am and there was no anointing. And I remember thinking as a kid, I, I don't ever, I wasn't judging her, I was judging the place I don't ever want to get to that place where I think that I'm so good that I don't need him. And this is what he's saying. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are they, happy are they that recognize I need him. I need him, I need him, I need him. He says, for theirs, for theirs is the kingdom. Of heaven. The Beatitudes is, is twofold. It's, a, it's kind of a present and a future tense thing. In other words, when you come into the kingdom of God, you ask Jesus into your heart, you're at that place where you're like, I'm in need of a savior, and then the kingdom of heaven opens up to you. But there's also a place where you live from this place, where you recognize that every single day I need him. It's a place of living in the kingdom of God. Living in that realm also something super interesting if you read the beatitudes one follows the other and in other words when you when you live from that place of being poor in spirit the next verse is is that you begin to mourn which i'm going to open it up but it goes after you need one to get into the next to get into the next to go to the next place they all follow suit i'm all over my notes so isaiah 66 verse 2 talking about 
talking about not being self-righteous, being poor in spirit, says this, my hands made the things, these things, so they all belong to me, says Yahweh. But there is one my eyes are drawn to. Look at that. This is God saying, there's one. This is what my eyes are drawn to. We should take note of this. Take note of this. This is what my eyes are drawn to, God says. The humble one. The tender one. The trembling one. Who live in awe of all I say. That's where my eyes go. To that one. The one who needs me. The one who stands in my presence and says, oh, I'm I'm in awe of who you are. That's the one. The one whose heart is tender towards me, that's the one. That's who I'm drawn to. Not the self-righteous one who thinks you can make it on your own without him. God, if that's in us today, if there is any self-righteous root, self-righteous motive, anything in our heart that says that I can make it at all without you, uproot it, reveal it to us, God. God, we want to be the ones that are tender. The ones that stand in awe of every word that you say. We want to be the humble ones. The next verse, verse 4. Those who mourn. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. So remember the word blessed, right? It means happy. Oh, how happy are those who mourn. (laughs) Oh, how happy are those that cry. Oh, how happy are those that just are so sad. (laughs) Makes so much sense, so we'll just move on, right? Just be happy and mourn. That's not how we typically read it. Um, In the Matthew 5, verse 4, same verse, but in the Amplified, it says it like this. Blessed, forgiven, refreshed by God's grace are those who mourn over their sin and repent for they will be comforted when the burden of sin is lifted that word mourn is the strongest word used in referring to mourning in the greek language it's the strongest word and what it refers to is the pain that you should feel over your own sin the pain that you 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 should mourn over your sin 2 Corinthians 7 verse 9 says, Yet I am glad now, not because you were hurt and made sorry, but because your sorrow led to repentance and you turned back to God. For you felt a grief such as God meant you to feel, so that you might not suffer loss in anything on our account. For you felt a grief such as God meant you to feel. Godly sorrow produces repentance. That's what it says. Godly sorrow produces repentance. That there is a place that we are to go to that we mourn over our own sin. And I I think sometimes that we feel separate even from God because we justify ourselves. It's not that bad. It's not that big of a deal. God says, happy are those that mourn, 
for then I'll comfort you. At the end of the last verse I read in 2 Corinthians 7, it says, so that you might not suffer loss in anything. He says that there is grief that God meant you to feel so you would not suffer loss in anything. In other words, to get you back on track. In other words, there's a mourning, there's a grief, there's a sorrow that comes so that he could get you back on track. That's how much he loves you. Listen, this is gonna feel like pain. This is gonna hurt so that you can get back on track, so that you turn away from those things so that you can get back on track so that it leads you to repentance. What does repentance mean? To turn away from sin, to change the way that you're going, that I feel this pain, that I turn away from it so I can get myself back on track the way God would have me to go. And sorrow, mourning leads to repentance, but repentance leads to joy. Repentance leads to joy. And then he says, they will be comforted. Those that mourn over their sin, they will be comforted, not justifying their sin. And we do that. I just, I, I do it in my own life. Just like, well, if I don't listen, well, you know. God, he says, no, there, there, should, be, there, there should be something in that says, God, I stand in the presence of a holy God. What have I done? Forgive me. Forgive me. And you know, sometimes we just love to categorize sin. We love to just categorize it as there's the big things that you should not do. I didn't do those, so my sin's not that bad. You know, I'm not doing drugs, so my sin's not that bad. Uh, I don't know. I'm at a loss for sins right now. But, <laughs> but we have our lists, right? That it's like, I didn't do those so I'm not that bad. There's this little area that God's been talking to me about, but it's not as bad as those ones, you know? So, but the Bible says that those that know to do right that don't do it, to them it's sin. God says mourn over that. Because I'll comfort you. There's no comfort without mourning. Isaiah 57, 15 says, For this is what the high and majestic one says. Oh, God's talking to us again. It says, the one who, This is the one who fills the internal realm with glory, whose name is holy. God, whose name is holy. I dwell, here he says, this is what he's saying, I dwell in high and holy places, but also with the bruised and lowly in spirit. Those who are humble and quick to repent. Oh, come on. I dwell with them to revive the spirit of the humble, to revive the heart of those who are broken over their sin. I am holy. I am high above it all. But he says, but I also, I dwell with those that are broken. I dwell with those who are repentant over their sin. I dwell with them. That's, I, that's what I'm drawn to. I come and I dwell with them, not those who can justify it. He says, I come to comfort. He says, I come to revive. You know, you know sin can suck the life out of you? 
God says, you, you repent over that, you mourn over that, I come and I revive that. Those who mourn will be comforted. Next one, the meek. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. The dictionary meaning of meekness means someone who remains calm even when provoked. Someone who remains calm even when provoked. Meekness is actually strength contained. Those who contain how they could respond or how they could react. So the Bible says the happy person is those who are in control, basically, of their emotions and not subject to them. A lot of times we've looked at meekness when we think of a, that person's just really meek. What a meek person. A lot of times we look at it as weak. That person's weak. But meekness is not weakness. It's controlling the strength that's on the inside of you. Not reacting when you could react. Just walking it out. Jesus was meek, is meek. And he's not weak. God, the Father, is meek. He's controlling his emotions all over the place. He's meek. Moses was, Moses was listed as one of the meekest men. But he certainly wasn't in his younger years when he killed somebody. <laughs> right? But later on, he's listed as a meek man. There was a process that he had to go through, that he went through to develop that in his life. A process that he went to. He, he was living alone, running. He had to run for his life, living alone, away from his people. God was developing. He was producing something in his life. Joseph, same thing. Meek. But there was processes in his life that he had to go through that God was developing this in his life. Joseph kept constantly getting overlooked. There was a plan of God. God had a massive plan for his life, but he went through a big process. And you gotta know that God was developing something on the inside of him to get him to the place where he could be a meek man. God's not, a, God's not afraid of mess. God's not afraid of process. He will take you through a process to work things out in you. He's not afraid of mess. So that the Holy Spirit can develop something in you, produce fruit inside of you. Galatians 5, 22 talks about the fruits of the Spirit. And one of the fruits of the Spirit is gentleness. That word gentleness actually is meekness. That it is a fruit that the Holy Spirit produces in your life. Meekness. But sometimes you got to go through a process and God is not afraid to put you there so that these things can be worked out, can be produced in your life. In the amplified version of uh, Matthew 5, it says, blessed, inwardly peaceful, spiritually secure, 
worthy of respect, are the gentle, the meek. Then it says the kind-hearted, the sweet-spirited, and the self-controlled, for they will inherit the earth. You know how you can be self-controlled? Recognize that God's in control, and you're not. Many times people will lose their temper, um, explode, not have any control, lose, you know, lose their mind is because they feel out of control. And you feel out of control when you, when you begin to think that God's not in control, that he doesn't have you. So then all of a sudden you begin to let anger rise up or whatever it is, but anger rise up and you become, you come out of self-control because you feel like you need to control the situation. And so meekness has to be produced in your life. Then he says, blessed are, happy are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. To the Jewish people, when they heard inherit the earth, this often meant to them the promised land, that they would inherit the promised land. So happy are the meek, the self-controlled ones, for they will inherit, actually have dominion in the promised land. That they'd cross over. That they'd walk into the fulfillment of the promises of God in their life. Blessed are the meek. Psalms 37 says, verse 8 says, Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm. Stay there for a moment. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Do not fret, it only causes harm. For evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. Look at this. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. With meekness comes an abundance of peace. As the Holy Spirit begins to produce that in your life, that be the cry of our hearts, Holy Spirit, produce meekness in me. Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, help me live a self-controlled life. And you come into that place of living in an abundance of peace. Incredible. Last one, verse 6. Those who hunger and thirst. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Those that hunger and thirst for righteousness. Happy are they. That word righteousness means absolute complete rightness, correctness, and perfection in every single area. <laughs> Think about that. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, so for perfection, for correctness, for rightness. That, that those that go after that, is that what they're meaning? That we're supposed to pursue perfection? Is that what it, that verse means? Pursue perfection, pursue correctness in every single area of my life? No, that's not what that means. And I'm going to explain to you what it means. 
There is no way for us to be perfect in every single way. I'm sorry. I'm close. I am close, but but I don't think I'm going to make it. I'm kidding. I'm not close at all. The Bible says in Romans that there are none righteous, not one who meets God's standards, not one righteous. But 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, He made Christ who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that in him we would become the righteousness of God. That is, we would be made acceptable to him and placed in right relationship with him by his gracious, loving kindness. What does righteousness do? That we would be made acceptable to him and placed in right standing with him by his gracious, loving kindness. Righteousness means in right standing. In right standing. It doesn't mean right acting. It doesn't mean that if I act right, then I, then I get a position in front of God. It says, no, Jesus paid the price so that you would be the righteousness of God, which means that you are in right standing at any time. You can stand before me. You are in right standing before me because of Jesus, because of what he did. So it has nothing to do with how you act. Jesus didn't die. He didn't die so that you would act right. He didn't die so that you would act right. He died because he knew that you had no hope without him. He knew that you weren't going to make it without him. He, he knew that he had to die. He had to take your place. But he also knew that... I want them to know the Father. That's why he died. Not so you would act right. Now, understand this, that you are in right standing with God because of Jesus, because of the price that he paid. So does that mean that we just live however we want to? If I'm always in right standing and he didn't die for me to act right, then I can just do what I want? No, because he also says, be holy as I'm holy. We're to pursue righteousness, pursue right living. And for, for a host of reasons, but here's one. Let me read this. Find it down in my notes here. 2 Timothy 2.21. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean and you will be ready for the master to use you for every good work. Run from anything that stimulates youthful lust. Instead, pursue righteous living, faithfulness, love, and peace. Enjoy the companionship of those who call on the name of the Lord with pure hearts. Because he's saying, you pursue righteous living so that you would be fit for the master's use, so that he could use you. I pursue righteous living. So what is he saying here then in Matthew 6, 33, or excuse me, in Matthew 5? What's he saying? Those who, are, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, they'll be satisfied. 
go to Matthew 6, 33. It says, but first and most importantly, seek, aim to strive after his kingdom, his righteousness, his way of doing and being right, the attitude and character of God, and all of these things will be given to you. Righteousness is found only in the person of Jesus. It is Jesus. So when you are hungering and thirsting after righteousness, you are hungering and thirsting after Jesus. When I hunger and I thirst after Jesus, I will be satisfied. 2 Corinthians 5.21. Nope, sorry. I'm all over my notes here. Zephaniah 2.3 says, Seek the Lord, all you humble of the land, who do this, who do his just commands. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. Seek the Lord. Seek righteousness. Seek humility. Psalms 42, verse 2, my soul, my life, my inner self, here's that word, thirsts for God, for the living God. Who will, who will I come and see? The, when will I come and see the face of God? Psalm 63, verse 1, I can't get enough of you. I worked up such a hunger and a thirst for God. Traveling across dry and dreary lands. hungering and thirsting after Jesus. I'm in need of a savior. I'm nothing without him. I have to have him. You died, God, you, you died for me, Jesus, I need you. I don't want this sin in my life. I, I, don't, I don't wanna live a life like this. I don't wanna be like that, God. Forgive me for my sin. God, I repent. I, I repent. I repent. I repent. I repent, God. And I give you control, God. You're, you're in control. You're the one that matters. You're in control, God. I rest in that place. Jesus, I recognize that I need you and I am after your heart. I am seeking after the righteous one. Then it says in Isaiah 41, Yahweh will respond to the cry of the poor and needy. When they are thirsty and their tongues are parched with thirst, when they seek a drink of water but there is none, the God of Israel will not abandon them. He says, if you seek after me, if you hunger and thirst for me, you will be satisfied. That word satisfied actually means to gorge yourself. So like on Christmas, when you like, you know, decide that you're going to go for your, I'm gonna, you know, I'm gonna have a massive plate of mashed potatoes, that's me. 
you know, and a little bit of turkey and some stuffing, and then I'm going to go for a second one, and then I'm so full, but then I'm, well, it's dessert, you know, and then you're going to eat all, okay, here, let me tell you a story, actually. Um, Mexico, long time ago, about six years ago, Jordan and Charity and Jarrett and I went to Mexico. I know we've, we've been since, but this was one particular time because we didn't do it this last time, but the first time we went to Mexico together, there was a buffet, it was an, um, all-inclusive, so you just ate and you didn't pay, right? You could just eat as much as you want, buffet style. Every single day, they'll hate me for telling this, every single day, morning, sometimes lunch, supper for sure, we would meet and eat there. We gorged ourselves. We gorged ourselves so bad that at, after we finished eating, we would waddle, I just kid you not, waddle to these chairs that were by the pool. Um, what kind of chairs do you call Lounge chairs, like where you lay down. We would waddle, and that's as far as we could make it. Then we would lay there, take our shoes off, and lay there, and just, <laughs> so full, so, so full. And this is what God says, you will be so full. If you seek after me, so full, so, so full. I will satisfy you. I will fill you to overflowing if you will come after me. Come seek me. I will fill you. And you know what happens? You know what happens when you seek after a righteous God? You walk right. What? Because what you behold becomes how you walk. What you look at becomes how you conduct yourself. And we thought that it was something we had to work out ourselves. No, no, you can't do it. You are no match. You cannot do it. When will we get it through our heads? I can't do this on my own. It's not by my own works. My own works don't get me to heaven. My own works do nothing for me, but cause me to be bound up. The very thing, the very price that he paid for your freedom. And then we think, okay, I'm free, so I'll just tie myself back up in works. Thinking that I'll somehow, I don't know what we think. I don't even, I don't even know why we do it. Religion, that, it's religion. God says, no, seek after me. Watch what happens. Church, church, watch what happens when you begin to hunger and thirst for Jesus himself. Oh, how happy. Oh, how happy are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness. They, oh, they'll be, they'll be filled. They'll be satisfied. Did you know that you were born hungry? Physically and spiritually speaking, you were born hungering for something. Every single person born hungering. That's why he says, I'll fill that. You were born longing for me. Come after me. I will satisfy you. And you know what? You keep getting hungrier. That's the crazy thing. I don't eat once. I didn't eat once in Mexico and gorge myself and I was good for the rest of the trip. What did I do? Woke up and ate again. 
did some aqua size and ate again. <laughs> it doesn't stop. It's not like, well, I hungered and thirst and then it stopped. No, it doesn't stop. You were born needing encounter with God. And he wants to encounter you. Last verse and I'm done. Sean, you can come. Psalms 107 verse 9. He satisfies the thirsty and he fills the hungry with good things. Sometimes we're filling ourselves because, because we're longing for him. Do you understand that sometimes you begin to fill yourself with things that you should, that are bad things, things that they're not even, sometimes they're not even bad things, but they're stuff that you're actually hungering for, but it's him that you're hungering for, not those things. Do you know sometimes in the natural, when you crave something, sometimes you're craving chocolate. It's not actually chocolate that you're craving. You're craving the thing. You're craving a mineral. You're craving a vitamin. There's something else that your body needs, and it's like, oh, I just need to be filled with something. And we do this in in our own lives, inside our life, and we begin to hunger. I'm hungry. I'm thirsting for something. He says, yeah, you need a drink of me. But then we go fill ourselves with other things. He says, no, it's me you're hungering for. Come after me. Come after him, church. Exciting days ahead, Sean. For more information about Embassy Church, visit our website at embassychurch.ca.